Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Uh, welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. We are continuing our NFL fandom countdown. This week, we're entering the top 10, Doug. So this is, and you know, and it's, it's kind of amusing. Fans will get upset about being a top 10 fan base. It's like this exercise started this notion, let's solve this barroom debate about who the best fans are. And it turned into something where everyone was always mad, except for the people at the top of the list, who interestingly didn't care. Okay. Yeah. So I also want to say, like, we're talking about NFL fan bases. This is the most popular league in the country. And anybody on the list, yeah, anybody on the list has great fans. If you're in the top 10, that is just straight up. You have an elite fan base. Yeah. You have an elite fan base. And so that's, you know, I know it's easy to get mad about who you're. I think it's usually, it's not about where you're ranked. It's about who you're behind. Like as a Giants fan, I was like, we're behind the Panthers. You know, we've got some of these teams in front of us that no way their fans are as good as ours. And I think that's always the sentiment. Doug, that's a good segue. Because at number 11, we had the Seattle Seahawks. And those fans are definitely going to be upset about being behind number 10, the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I think the Niners have more history, man. They got more history, more Super Bowls, more. Okay. Mount Rushmore of 49ers, Steve Young, Joe Joe Montana, Montana. Ronnie Lott, Jerry Jerry Rice. Rice. Five Super Bowls. Yeah, kind of blows a, away what the Seahawks got going on. It's a, it's an iconic franchise. It's I also I personally love their uniforms. <laughs> I think they got a good look. I think they got yeah. I think that it's unique. Like most teams, almost feel like you know you go across the high school and college ranks, and there's everybody. There's kind of a copycat team, and there's kind of like a template that they're using. And San Francisco is unique. Like you don't see a lot of that golden red, but it just looks sharp. It looks elite. And I associate it with, you know, with those, with Jerry Rice and with Joe Montana, with Steve Young. Here's a question for you, Doug. Is San Francisco, does that scream football? You know, we know that, we know that LA struggles with football fandom. Does San Francisco seem like a, you know, a place where, you know, where you got these kind of, what's our stereotype of these blue collar guys in the dog pound in Cleveland? No, especially since I'm pretty sure they, they moved out a candlestick to a new stadium and it just feels like it's going to be a corporate event 
the games, you know, the season tickets go to the, the corporations and they give them to their clients and they get, it just feels like that's probably the environment. You got the, I don't know who's all in San Francisco, the Apple guys and the Amazon guys. And the, well, the, they're the, I mean, Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, so you, basically the the Sil- Silicon Valley 49ers. Yeah. As far as who's in the stadium. And that's a lot different than Seattle. That's a lot different than when it, you know, when Oakland had a team. And so, you know, Silicon Valley 49ers, probably not one of the top environments. Like Seattle I mean, would I'm, rank higher in terms of environments. But well, I could argue that the 49ers are underperforming to have Montana, Young, Ronnie Lott, five Super Bowls. To be in a market with that level of wealth, remember we, I mean, last episode we talked about how the key was having a lot of folks with a, you know, 200,000, 200K income. Yeah. San Francisco's got a lot of that in place. Probably the perfect market. If anything, they're probably under, underachieving a little bit. Yeah. It's just not a football town in the sense of like, I don't know, it's a demographic that's particularly interested in football compared to we talked about the Panthers kind of being close to the Southeast, you know, to the SEC and to that just where people eat, breathe and sleep football. Houston Texans, the same. I think if you took like Carolina or Houston and you gave them the kind of success that San Francisco's had over the years. It would explode. They would be Green Bay Packers. Yeah, the town would explode. They would be football crazy. And San Francisco, it's like, even if they repeat that success, I think 10 is probably where they're going to sit, you know, like where they are. This is their kind of their ceiling because, like you said, they've had the perfect, financially, they've had the perfect demographic. And unfortunately, you used the term fool's gold talking about Los Angeles a week ago. San Francisco might be the same situation where on paper it's perfect because you've got all these people with big wallets who want to spend money and who want to entertain themselves. And you've got this football team that has this history and all this success, but is football king in San Francisco? And I think the answer is no. I think that's the difference between you know an overperforming team in Carolina, an overperforming team in Houston sitting at 12 and 14, and probably an underperforming team in terms of fandom at number 10 with the 49ers. Yeah, there's probably a little bit of a mix between like kind of real community fandom and corporate fandom. I do. I will say there still, there are probably more like in the state of California, the 49ers dominate and the 49ers may have more fans outside of San Francisco than in San Francisco. Right. That's kind of what I was getting at. Like they do have, it's not just these corporate elites, you know, it's not just Silicon Valley. They do. And one of my good friends is a diehard 49er and he follows that team, but he's not, you know, he's not, he doesn't live there. He's not in the city. He's not, he's like you said, he's one of those guys that kind of like me with the giants, like pulls for them from afar and is in love with their history and their legacy. I know a lot of fans of a lot of kind of dynasty type football teams or baseball teams that you have and basketball teams, the Lakers, they probably like going to UGA. I would say I met more Lakers fans than fans of any other NBA team. That's kind of crazy in the state of Georgia. A lot of those kids had never visited that side of the country, much less a game. If I ask my students at Emory, the number one basketball fandom, it's always the Lakers. It's, you know, it's just one of the, it's like, you know, that kind of Cowboys Lakers fandom. Okay. Now, so while San Francisco might 
not sort of be built for football market wise. The next team on our list might be the most prototypical football town in all of America. And so this might be another one that actually ends up underperforming. We've got the Chicago Bears at number nine. Okay, now, Doug, let me, they, let me tell you <laughs> some names associated with the Chicago Bears. And a lot of these are behind, beyond, they're before my time. But listen to these names in terms of who the Bears have retired. Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, Dick Buckus, Red Grange, Bronco Nagurski. I mean, come on, Bronco Nagurski. No idea when this guy played, but th- that name is so All perfect. All-time football name. Mike Ditka. And that's not even getting into, you know, Singletary. And the Fridge. The fridge. My personal uh, favorite. Since 2000, though, their quarterbacks for the Chicago Bears, so, just some high points. Cutler, Grossman, Trubisky, and Fields. Okay. Yeah, I think Fields was the chosen one, the one to the one with that elite upside that could really change the game. I don't know if anyone was ever super optimistic about Mitch Trubisky, Mike. I don't know. How did he go so high in the draft? And what I don't, I watched him play in college and he got outperformed by Jacob Eason in his first game. And Jacob Eason's not a guy who's had success in the NFL or even stayed on rosters. And so Trubisky for the Steelers out, you know, outside what he's done post bears. It is hard to, it's hard to explain what they yeah, saw. I, he's always been a head scratcher to me. Fields is the one where I think fans felt like, regardless of the fact that we're the Chicago Bears and we don't have great quarterbacks, we have ourselves a great quarterback. I'll also say this since it was before your time. In 1985, the Bears were the biggest thing in this entire country. The so shuffling that, crew? Yeah, the shuffling crew. But, you know, I mean, so the Bears are a. You know, the Bears are the sleeping giant on this. They're the ones that have sort of everything going for it. They just, if you look at it since that Super Bowl with Rex Grossman, they've basically made it to the Super Bowl like once every five, I would say the playoffs once every five years. So this is a market that really needs, that has so much potential that just needs to fix itself. Yeah, this probably won't surprise you, Mike, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I actually have a hard copy DVD of the 1985 Bears shuffling crew performance video pretty <laughs> legendary stuff i don't think we've seen anything like that since so before social well, media but if social media were around for that team they would have all been tiktok stars man dog they taped that i mean think about the arrogance of that team they taped that during the playoffs that was out before the super bowl i, I mean it was i know every of- word to the song I'm like, it's running through my head right now, but I love it. That's remember the Titans territory of it's silly, but it's memorable and great for fans. And I do think Chicago, it's like, if you give them the 49ers quarterbacks over the years, that's a fandom that probably ranks five spots higher. At least they've just been handicapped at the quarterback position. For forever if you really want to hurt the soul give them the green bay packers quarterbacks well they would say we don't even want them <laughs> we don't want those guys but at, any third party that's unbiased would take that trade in a heartbeat at number eight we've got the denver broncos i think that's a little surprising to people but you know the broncos have always been denver's team you know, now they've got a basketball team with a championship, but I think the Nuggets were an ABA franchise. The baseball team's a le- relatively late arrival. 
I, I don't know how well the hockey team plays. I assume they do well in the Denver market, but the Broncos were always that core. You know, they were the original for that team. Broncos have eight Super Bowl appearances. Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah. So forty-five years. That means that you know it's, it's a pretty regular occurrence for that franchise. Uh, they're also a fan base that feels like they should they should be in the Super Bowl every year. There's always some. It's either injury or it's some move that the general manager made for why they're not in the Super Bowl. They always feel like they're a quarterback away. Last year, right? They thought Russell Wilson was well, the missing piece. That's what I'm saying. They always feel like there's just this missing piece, and once we get it, we're going to be – and it's because they've been in so many Super Bowls that every year they're not in. It's like, man, we should have done it this year. What went wrong? What went wrong this year? And most teams – when they make it, it's like, what happened? What went right? You know, the Panthers make the Super Bowl one time or the Falcons. And it's the special season for Denver. It's like a down year every year that they don't make it. And so, yeah, Russell Wilson was the missing piece. I remember the amount of hope those fans had when Tim Tebow had a little bit of a run and people were starting to think because he had won championships in college that they were going to go on a Super Bowl tear. And then, of course, Peyton Manning, and they made two Super Bowls with him, you know, when he wasn't really playing at a super high level at that point. And so the Denver Broncos, I think that I know that we adjust for winning. I do think that the history with John Elway and the the amount of success, the amount of Super Bowl performances, you know, I talked earlier about the Texans saying, I don't know if I've seen them play in a meaningful game. And it's like, Every time I've seen Denver play in my life, it has been a meaningful game. It's been a meaningful playoff game. It's been a Super Bowl. It's been you know a, a game to determine who's going to get the the top seed out of the AFC. And so they've played a lot of meaningful games, and they're the dominant team in their region. And it's not shocking to see them this high as much as a team like the Bears seems a little bit more iconic. Okay, number seven is a team that was a perennial bottom feeder. Yeah, this one's weird to me. To the point where the fans would, they were known for showing up wearing paper bags over their heads and calling themselves the Aints. The New Orleans Saints is probably the best example of what can be built within a community. And, and you know, you, we, you could argue that there was some tragedy in that community, Katrina, and the Super Bowl run following Katrina yeah. is how that was put together, sort of capturing capturing magic. But I think you also have to give that team credit for being really well positioned or, you know, intentional about making sure they were connected to the community. I'll also say this. You know, he didn't have the Super Bowl championships, but I think Breeze is almost the equivalent, uh, almost it's sort of in parallel or a mini Tom Brady in terms of the impact he had on that franchise. Hmm. You know, Drew Breeze is the iconic New Orleans Saints. They've got that Super Bowl. It's a small, less affluent market. And so they've really... You know, it, it's really a great story in terms of a franchise really being embedded in a community. Yeah. I mean, I can't even, I can't imagine the city without the Saints or the Saints without the city. I mean, they are one. Drew Brees is a rare case of a guy, a quarterback, switching teams in his prime. 
and being remembered for the second team that he played for. I just I can't think of another player. I mean, I guess you could argue Brett Favre, but I believe he left Atlanta before <laughs> before he was Brett Favre, you know, before. He, but Drew Brees was an elite quarterback in San Diego. And he played on teams that were making the AFC championship that were, you know, that were knocking on the door. And nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers San Diego Drew Brees. It's he's it's like he was born and raised in New Orleans. For, yeah, he's always been a saint. And, and that was like his JV team before going <laughs> to New Orleans, before making the varsity. OK, I'll give you one other couple more numbers on this because again I think it's always these these comparisons across the teams are where this gets interesting right in terms of the fight so Buffalo is very proud of their fandom if you look at social media numbers New Orleans has 7.4 million followers across the three major platforms Buffalo has 4.1 I'm not saying that to bash Buffalo at this point. It's more a matter of, you know, how are these models working? That somehow, mm-hmm. some way, the Saints have been able to get beyond just that core New Orleans marketplace and actually build a bit of a national following that has thus far escaped the Bills. Now, Bills are well poised to, you know, have to, you know, the window is open for the Bills. They've got the right quarterback that they can be in that brand building phase. New Orleans might be an example of, uh, frankly, New Orleans might be an example of that team that has maxed out its brand and now has to sort of be worried about following back into the pack. Yeah, I I absolutely think that's the case. That magic of Drew Brees is over and they really hadn't had success before or after Drew Brees and so, and Sean Payton. So a time will tell, but if I'm looking at this list and some of the teams behind them that seem primed for a jump, especially because of how primed they are to succeed on the field, it seems like there there are quite a few teams that could jump New Orleans in the next decade if they don't turn things around over there. Okay. At number six, actually, you know, Doug, probably six through 10 is this part of the list where I keep saying, this one's a little weird to me, right? I'm baffled by number six, and I think something special is happening. And I think it's about to happen in the Major League Baseball side as well. At number six, we've got the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the La- the Oakland Raiders do have a history. You look at the numbers the Raiders have retired, the Super Bowls, the iconic owner in Al Davis. The Raiders always had some marquee value. If you looked at the numbers when they were a California team, the metrics were not that great. They moved to Las Vegas. And I also sort of go on record here is I don't get the Raiders brand at all. What the Raiders have done, what they seem to be pursuing in Las Vegas, it almost – as I'm look, I'm not an Oakland Raiders fan. But if I'm an Oakland Raiders fan, I'm almost offended as how they've changed it from the black hole to – almost being the most the team most resembling a team that plays in a shopping mall. Um, you know, it feels completely sanitized and all the bad behavior, all the history seems to be erased. But the thing about the Las Vegas Raiders, they have by far the highest ticket prices in the league. So there's something about that market. It's not a big market. It's not an affluent market, but there's a lot of dollars that come in on the weekends. A lot of people spending money on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. 
And so there's something I can't quite figure out how to capture or adjust for in the model. But the reality is the Raiders, and again, you talk about recent success, two playoff appearances since 2002. So they should, in a way, they've moved the team multiple times. They don't make the playoffs. They should be almost in Washington Commanders territory. Also, but they, somehow moved, they, they moved to a market that doesn't, didn't seem to have any demand for football. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I guess there's moved, gambling demand. They went from Oakland to Los Angeles to Oakland to, to Las Vegas. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, until you say, hey, you know what? People are probably more willing to spend money, big money on a football ticket when they're on vacation. It's next to California. And so it's, and, and, and I think you're right. People are willing to spend money on Saturdays and Sundays, especially when they're on vacation in Las Vegas. And so they do great in terms of the marketplace. I mean, throwing away 250 bucks for a ticket to a football game is probably a relatively small expense or relatively small loss of money <laughs> compared to what people are throwing around in Vegas. So there's that well, aspect. Hey, hey, let me stop you just for a second. There, there is something called something called transaction utility. Yeah. And you're probably right that spending $250 on a ticket in Oakland seems a lot more of a hard hit to take than spending $250 on a ticket in Las Vegas. Yeah, and I think especially when you're sitting there like deciding what you're going to do with your day and it's like, well, we could lose $250 to go lose one game at the casino or we could go spend the entire day watching this football game and getting rowdy and having drinks and have a good time for the same amount of money and in this awesome stadium and why not? So I know you had a theory, Mike, that the hotels over there were like packaging together tickets with the, you know, with your stay, which like th there's gotta be something weird going on for them to be as high. And do you have their attendance, like where they rank in terms of attendance? I don't have it in front of me. Okay. I'll tell you one other thing though. Because, I mean, I've tried to do some detective work and dig into what's going on. They also have the highest ticket prices on the resale market. So I, I suspect it's much more of a, like I said, we're, like we're saying, a Las Vegas effect than anything else. I, and I think it, look, I think it is a Las Vegas effect, right? I mean, the WNBA is investing heavily in making the Aces kind of their premier brand. The Oakland Athletics are in the process of moving to Las Vegas, it's a market that somehow just – it's a tourism market, right? And sports yeah. as part of these tourism packages has got to be what's driving all this. It's also like when I look at the teams that are behind them, I know fans in different states for all of those teams. I know Saints fans. I know Broncos fans. I know Chicago Bears fans. I know 49ers fans, Seahawks, Panthers, Giants, really until you get to the Texans, like – because that team I don't <laughs> but the you know those next couple teams you all feel like okay I know their fans I've met them in Alabama I've met them in Georgia I've met them when I've traveled different places I've I don't know any Raiders fans like maybe it's a different maybe they're all like in an alleyway somewhere you know <laughs> like I don't know they attract like a different kind of demographic than who Doug, I hang around that but makes, it's isn't that what makes it even weirder right I mean you're I think your Georgia, and I can even push back on this. Your the Georgia cheering section you were in, yeah, the, the spikes one, yeah, was looks like it was modeled after the Raiders black. Yeah, I think that the guys that started it before my I don't time, think the black hole guys are really welcome in that new 
Las Las Vegas Raiders State. I don't know. I haven't watched many games. Like I don't feel like they've been on TV a lot. So I'm like, do they still have guys? Like I would think they would still have somebody carrying on that tradition. It's probably not the same guys. They might have to pay someone. <laughs> yeah, do it. it's like a mascot. You know, shoot, that could be my new job, Mike. On the side, I can be a, I can be a fake Raiders fan. I think you probably all you just you've got the equipment right. You got the shoulder pads. I'm primed for it. Like if they had, I always say they should have a draft for fans. And I think I would have been like a number one pick. I was a, I would have been a really high prospect coming out of college. Really had a great body of work to show, and some good tape that we've kept. And I hope nobody ever finds it. <laughs> okay, we'll uh, wrap that up for now. Uh, the complete list is uh, fandomanalytics.com.